This is our fourth lesson on the mouth, and we call this the mouth a powerful stewardship. I am a huge proponent of stewardship. Everything we've been given is not ours, hence it's been given. The breath we breathe is God's. The bodies we have belong to God. The Bible tells us that. It's been purchased. And that even goes to our mouth. Our mouth is a stewardship. And if you study the Bible, we've got lessons and curriculum on stewardship. Anything God's going to judge you on is a stewardship. That includes the vehicle you own. That includes the job he gives you. That includes the children he gives you. It includes the words of your mouth. He's going to judge you on them. And I just let let all of us know we're all going to be on the bad end of some judgment because we've all done dumb stuff with our mouth. But that's why we come to church. We even, you know, with two children, we teach our kids. We don't say that. We don't talk that way. Lydia just out of the blue said B-U-T-T the other day. I'm going to hit you in your butt. That's strong for a three and a half year old. No, ma'am, we don't say that. So the first time's a warning. Then we teach her and next time she might get a swat or, or something. So we have to learn all our life what to do with our mouth. And God is no different. Uh, as a father, he wants to correct us in our mouth. He wants to teach us what to do with our mouth. So we're going to look at in this lesson, this subject of stewardship. This will be the most controversial lesson of our curriculum. There are some within Christendom who do not believe that the mouth contains power to create, power to destroy, to bless, to curse, to deliver, to bind, etc. There's folks that don't believe that, but we're going to see from this lesson, God very much does believe it. And if God believes it, then it's so. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes we get in trouble with religiosity and tradition. Uh, We need to be mindful of what the Bible says above all else. This lesson will evaluate what the Bible, not tradition, has to say about the power contained within our mouths. If it's powerful, we have to be extra shrewd stewards of it. Guns are very powerful. You've got to be very good stewards over guns. Cars are powerful. You've got to be very good stewards over cars. So or anything that has power, you've got to be a good steward over. And we're going to see that our mouth is no different. So let's look at our basis for stewardship here. According to Jesus Christ, our mouths and our words are a stewardship. And we will be judged for what we say And what we accomplish with our mouths. If you'll understand that you've been given a mouth and a voice to accomplish something. And we understand in studying the whole Bible, there's no hole you can't dig yourself out of with your mouth. On the other hand, every hole in your life you dug with your mouth. (laughs) Proverbs says you're, you're snared by the words of your lips. We create problems for our lives with our mouth. And yet the solution comes through our mouth, through prayer through declaring the word of God, through setting ourselves free by asking for permission to excuse ourselves from commitments we should have never committed to. Sometimes we overcommit and we, we bind ourselves up. So we need to be mindful that our, our mouths do have power. We won't even touch the supernatural ability of our mouth yet, but we'll get to that later in the stewardship. Just realize you're going to be judged for what you did or did not create with your mouth or produce. Did you use your mouth to encourage folks or did you use it to tear people down? Did you use your mouth to witness to people or did you use your mouth to tell dirty jokes? We're going to be judged for all this. And right now, if we were to go to heaven today, we'd all be judged guilty on many counts. We'd also be judged uh, innocent and rewarded, but we need to make sure that with the rest of our lives, we start to become more fruitful with our mouth and less judge worthy. Or I should say we're all going to be judged condemnation worthy. Uh, Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I chose the NIV says, but I tell you, Jesus speaking, that everyone will have to give account of the, on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. We're all guilty of empty words, 
empty promises, things that amount to nothing, frivolous talk. For by your words you will be acquitted. That's a judicial term. And by your words you will be condemned. Again, a judicial term. This is the words of a judge speaking. The judge drops his hammer and says, you're acquitted, which means you're found innocent of all charges. Or the judge drops the hammer and says, guilty. And the sentencing hearing will begin next week. And now not only are you guilty, and you know you are, you've got to wait another week to figure out what your punishment will be. Jesus says, our words are what will do this to our lives. By your words, you'll be set off scot-free, or by your words, you'll be enslaved and sent off to the, the work camp. The fact that God will judge our mouths and their fruit indicates that the Lord takes our mouths quite seriously. We can't we have to be careful as Americans, and I'm, I'm a, I like to cut up, and I, I much would rather be humorous than serious, but we got to get away from this, well, I was just kidding stuff all the time. I was just kidding. Uh, and, th- you know, there's a playful, innocent part to that, but sometimes we say that when we realize we're guilty. And we just need to think twice before we speak. The Bible says, be slow to speak, quick to hear. Some folks are just too eager to give their opinion. And as I said as a pastor, if your opinion isn't benefiting your life, quit exporting it. Right? That's why nobody buys GM. It's not benefiting anybody, so quit exporting it. Now, if you have a GM, God bless you and Lord help you. But if your opinion isn't helping you, quit exporting it so much. Be slow to speak and just evaluate it. God will not judge the dog's bark. He will not judge the lion's roar. He will not judge the whale's song. But he will judge our communication. Why? Because it has power that he has entrusted us with. He has given us the ability to communicate far and above any animal. As smart as dolphins are, they don't create or encourage people. As as smart as lions are, as smart as your dog might be, uh, they're not, they're not going to live forever. They're not going to go to heaven when they die. There will be animals in heaven, yes, but not your animal. Ecclesiastes says they descend to the pit. I believe the Bible. And that upsets Americans who worship pets. They have a short half-life. Animals do. They only live, you know. They're smaller. They live less. All right, fine. Let's move on to the next subject. For we offend somebody over their idolatry. Keeping our word. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.12. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will diligently watch after my word to perform it. This is, a, this is an aspect and characteristic of God Almighty. He watches after his word to keep it. And you and I have got to learn how to do that. We've got to be men and women that keep our word. When we commit to something, we diligently, King James says hasten, but we understand hasten is something different now. The word means to diligently watch after it, to be zealous over it, to make sure it comes to pass. You and I, when we give our word to our spouses, to our boss, we need to make sure we do everything in our power to make it come to pass. If we're not going to be able to make it to come to pass, we need to be able to go and recuse ourselves or excuse ourselves and say, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not going to get this turned in on time. Or, honey, please forgive me, I forgot the milk. Or, otherwise, we just become people whose words mean nothing. And we'll cover, I think, in the next lesson, oaths and swearing in in biblical sense. Um, To swear in the biblical sense means nothing about dirty language. To swear in the biblical sense means you give your word, and because your word has no power, because you've lied so much, you have to then invoke the name of God. And I swear by God, 
or I swear to God, I will do this for you. The reason you had to start swearing to God is because you lied on your own name a thousand times. So now, now not to disrupt your theology, but to take the Lord's name in vain in the biblical sense has nothing with saying GD. To take the Lord's name in vain is to say, I promise you by God, I'll be there on time, and then you don't come on time. You took the Lord's name in vain. You invoked it upon you so someone would trust you, and then you lied again. Now, saying GD is horrible, and we'll call that taking the Lord's name in vain, but that's not what it means in the biblical setting of Old Testament law and New Testament application. Where GD is still horrible. God's last name isn't damn it. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is not a cuss word. It's the name above every name. So, you know, we'll still call that taking the Lord's name in vain, but biblically, what it all comes back to is we are liars, and because people don't trust us, we say, well, I swear by God. By the time Jesus came into the earth, he had to deal with swear not by God, neither by the temple, because they had lied so much on God, they started swearing by the temple, God and his temple, neither by the gold in the temple. They had lied on the temple so much, now they had to invoke the gold in the temple just to get somebody to believe them. James comes along, quoting Jesus and says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything above this comes of condemnation and judgment. He summarizes all of it. Quit swearing. Just keep your word, you bunch of knuckleheads. And we need to learn to do the same thing today. And if you'll get a hold of this, the Lord will haunt you over the words you commit to people. And I, the Lord dealt with me on this uh, 13 years ago. Actually, no, it was October of 2001. And I got such a revelation on this, I would, he would wake me up at midnight to go make sure I'd, I promised to do something I said I'd do that day. Because it became so real to me, I was not going to be a liar. Now, that might be extreme, but it really put a, a, a serious a severity in my heart about keeping my word. Not that I'm, I'm flawless at it, because I still drop my word, but we're always trying to do better. God has set the standard for the use of our words. Firstly, our words must be spoken to accomplish something. And secondly, we must diligently watch after our words to make sure they come to pass. You must make sure you keep your word. And when you uh, have to stay up to 2 a.m. enough times, you'll stop overcommitting yourself. You'll stop so frivolously spending your word and you'll be a lot more reserved with the commitments you make and you'll be a lot more severe with the commitments you do make. We all, we and I think we'll cover this next week, but we all understand the expression. They say, man, their word is good as gold. You can take their word to the bank. What does that mean? The testimony is they're going to keep their word. Other people, their testimony is, ah, uh, he blows smoke. A lot of visual, but no substance. His cheap talk. We want to make sure that's not our testimony. We want to make sure we keep our commitments. If you cannot keep your commitment, you will live and die where you are today. Nowhere. You must keep your word. 1 Samuel 3.19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Again, we're not Samuel, we're not a prophet, we're not prophesying, but what a testimony that we could strive for that none of our words fall to the ground. We keep our words, we keep our commitment. If we say we're going to be there, we're there. If we say we'll commit $5, we commit $5. If we say I'm going to help you, I'll help you. If, we, if you say I'm in it for the long haul, then you're in it to the long haul plus one. That's what it means to be a man or woman of your word. Proverbs says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Just a good name, not even a great name, just a mediocre name is better than great money. Because a good name will take you farther than great money. 
And how do you get a good name? By keeping your word. All of this is impossible without God. So don't get discouraged. This is the Lord helping us and raising the standard in our life. And God knows we need the standard raised. The rest of America is lowering the standard and we're watching our nation dissolve. We don't want to dissolve with our nation. Even our politicians, it could, they need to send this, we need to send this to the White House. We need to send this to Congress and let them learn to keep their word. Amen. Samuel had the testimony that none of his words ever failed to come to pass. This indicates that every prophecy was fulfilled, every commitment was kept, and every promise fulfilled. It took God's help, but Samuel sets a high example for us to strive for. We need to be mindful. And it might be worth praying, Lord, help me to remember my commitments. Lord, help me set a watch over my mouth that every time I commit myself to somebody, I don't forget about it. I personally, I keep a little, I, well, I keep lots of notes. I got a little memo pad and then I have my phone and I write down stuff that I'm supposed to get to people. And thankfully as a pastor, I'm committed to a lot more people than you may be. And I have folks around me that I can delegate to and say, get them this CD. I promised them this. Let's email this. I promised them that. Let's get this mailed over here because I promised them that. But I have to write it down because nobody's memory or very few people's memory is sharp enough to remember all the commitments. But if you can be a man or woman of your word, it will propel you in life. God will promote you. The folks that live in poverty and in, in misery all their life, not just financial poverty, but just life poverty, they're liars, scoundrels. They don't keep their word. That may seem critical or rude, but you don't want to do business with them, right? Well, I mean, we're smart enough here. We can judge without being judgy. Christians are commanded to judge. We cannot condemn. Well, you know, we, it's cold in here. That's judgment. It's hot outside. That's judgment. Boy, they're speeding. That's judgment but it's not condemnation. We don't sentence people to hell or cast them off as hopeless. But we have every right to say, that's a green dress and that's a blue shirt. We get much further along and we're going to say, that's judgmental. You're judging me. All right, whatever color you want it to be, that it'll be. We get so goofy with this stuff sometimes. Sam, uh, Psalm 15, 1b and 4 in the New Living Translation. Who may enter into your presence on your holy hill? This verse chewed me up and spit me out 13 years ago. Who can enter into God's holy hill, the psalmist is asking. Those who despise flagrant sinners. So you are permitted to despise folks who sinfully sin and don't care. Sometimes that's Christians. I don't even know why they call themselves Christians because Christian means Christ-like one. Christ-like ones don't flagrantly sin. When we do sin, we're, we're heartbroken and and, and penitent over it. Those who despise flagrant sinners, they can dwell in God's hill. Those that honor the, follow, the faithful followers of the Lord, they can dwell in God's hill. And those that keep their promises even when it hurts. That is a powerful verse. Those that keep their promises even when it hurts. Don't you wish your government would? Don't you wish your parents would? Don't you wish your kids would? So why don't you and I? Those are the qualifications of who can dwell with God secretly and intimately. You keep your promises even when it hurts. And again, I have all these stories running through my heart, but we'll cover more of this next week. About all the times when, when I went through this season where the Lord really dealt with me about this, all the money it cost me to keep my word. And I learned I run my mouth too much and it's costing me too much time and money. I should start to dry this well up. What do you think, Chris? You want to go with this? Uh, let me get back with you on that.
instead of being so quick to speak. We're Americans. We're so opinionated, our mouth never stops. We give our opinion in our sleep. Oh, I think I'm awesome. <laughs> and then Satan invented Facebook. and you, I mean, uh, uh, Zuckerberg invented Facebook, and now your childishness and carnality and overzealousness comes out on Facebook even more. Learn to dial it back. <laughs> the psalmist declared that those that keep their word get to walk in the presence of God. These are scriptures concerning the criticality of a Christian simply keeping their word and fulfilling promises. We must learn to restrain and harness the tongue in these areas first. Learn how to say no. No to sin, no to overcommitment, no to rebellious children. You're not obligated. Learn to judge situations apart from emotions and look at them in light of God's word and you won't overcommit yourself. Furthermore, don't go commit yourself to something that's none of your business. Proverbs says, those that meddle with strife that doesn't belong to them is like grabbing a dog by the ears. Don't do it. You ought to learn to figure out, get with God, what are your obligations first and foremost, and master those obligations. There was somebody one time they, in our church that were, uh, they got a little flustered over something that they were doing in the ministry and they wanted to quit. And they said, Pastor, just let me step down. And I said, no, because your track record is quitter. And this will just be the next thing you've quit. And your life will go nowhere because all you do is quit what gets hard for you. So I refuse to let you quit. And that was seven years ago. And they still won't let them step down. And they don't even ask anymore. Because <laughs> I've wanted to quit a few times and God doesn't answer that stupid request. You know, he says, do it. And I'll be with you. Amen. So learn to restrain and... Uh, Keep your word. Keep your commitments. Creative and destructive power. Let's move on to another subject here. And obviously we could teach for months on any one of these subheadings. Proverbs 18.21 in the NIV says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love life will eat life. Those who love death will eat death. And your life tells off on what you love. You just have to look around you. This verse is too clear to confuse or misinterpret. We have the power to produce life and death. Sometimes death is what needs to be declared. Death to the old man, death to sinful friendships, death to cancer, etc. Sometimes life is what we need. Life to our body, life to our marriage, life to our walk with God, etc. Uh, life and death are in it. We can kill friendships with our words, and sometimes we need to kill a friendship because it's hurtful. Sometimes we need to speak life to our friendship, life to our relationship with our kids, life to our relationship with our boss. If you don't like your boss, it's your fault. It is God who gave you that boss. And it is God who gave that boss his authority or her authority. And uh, you want to make right with the king in that regard. Attitude is a two-way street. Maybe the boss doesn't like you because you have too much attitude. If you fall out of favor with somebody, it is your fault. You can't say, well, they just don't like me. Figure out why. Maybe you don't mean to rub them the wrong way, but you do. And if you do rub the boss the wrong way, your job is to take the money they pay you and do something with it, which means work for them. And the boss hired you to accomplish his vision or her vision, so you should adapt yourself to what your boss needs. Quit being so American, so opinionated. Because God blessed you with that job. He blessed you with that boss. And that authority flows from God to your boss. And when you're frustrating your boss, you're frustrating the authority of God. So make it right. So many folks have a, 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 um, a CV, a resume, 
See these British. A resume with a thousand jobs on it because they don't get along with anybody. You don't get along with anybody because you don't get along with yourself. <laughs> so if, if maybe you need to speak life to your relationship with your boss. You guys know my testimony. I worked for four or five years for a Pakistani Muslim who berated me and cussed me and cursed me and mocked my Christianity every time he was in town. And I said, yes, sir. Can I get you some coffee? Yes, sir, I'll do better. He taught me more about excellence and more about a work ethic than anybody in my whole life. And I could look past some cussing and I could look past some persecution to become a better man. The problem with Americans nowadays is we want everything so easy. We want everything handed to us. We are entitled. Amen. What happened to the good old American gumption of, man, we're American. We can handle it. Hit us in the face. We can handle it. Hit me. You know, kids, hit me harder. That's all you got? Nowadays, you know, we look crossways on Facebook and we get our feelings hurt, need counseling from the pastor. <laughs> I've, I'm coming up, uh, I'm picking on Facebook a little bit. There's two types of people who spend too much time on Facebook. Those that are insecure and fish for likes and those that are fishing for death threats. I'm honored to run with one and ashamed of the other. I run with pastors and ministers who put such confrontational things on Facebook. They rejoice when they get slammed on Facebook. They thrive on it. Death threats and being called hate mongers as they preach the gospel. And then unfortunately I see folks who all they do is fish for compliments and likes on Facebook because they don't have a walk with God. When you have a walk with God, you don't have to tell everybody all the cool stuff you do in life. The world even makes fun of this and they call it the humble brag. It's a new term. The humble brag. It's pride. When the world, a comedian came up with that term, the humble brag, when you put something on, oh my gosh, I just ran into Clint Eastwood and I just, I couldn't think of what to say. That's a humble brag. Because you're bragging about meeting Clint Eastwood, but then you're self-deprecating. But the emphasis is, I met Clint Eastwood. You're in pride. Have a walk with Jesus and you can dry that foolishness up. Amen. All right, so there's my anti-Facebook uh, rhetoric for this morning. Let's get back to the word. Sometimes life is what we need. We must be careful to never kill that which God wants alive, like a marriage, a relationship with our children or, or our boss, and not to resurrect that which God wants dead. They say now, what was it? Seven out of 10 affairs start on Facebook. And, and I think 60, 40 or 60% of those are with old friends. So don't go resurrect something God wants dead. James 3, 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Notice that the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of evil. Right now, we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Okay, we're 25, 30 folks in here. We've got 30 worlds of evil in here. 31 with me. Because God says, in your mouth is a world of evil. New Testament, the Apostle James the tongue. You got a tongue? Stick it out at me. You don't have to. I don't, I don't want to see your tongue. Stick it back in your mouth. That's a world of evil, the Bible says. Among the parts of the body. We might say it's the most evil part of your whole body. Your, your tongue does more damage than, than a, a sniper's finger ever could. The tongue, as a Christian, the tongue accomplishes more evil than the mass murderer's hand ever could. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Notice the devil doesn't set your life on fire. 
Your enemy doesn't set your life on fire. God says your own mouth burns your life to the ground. And itself is set on fire by help. This is James talking to New Testament believers. This is a strong warning for us. If you know it's hot, be careful with how you handle it. <laughs> life is built with dangerous things that are carefully harnessed. And your life can be built with this dangerous thing if it can be carefully harnessed. We all uh, get frustrated sometimes and we want to uh, make some kind of excuse or try to turn the world in on ourselves for selfish sake. And we usually do that with our mouth, through the humble brag, through drawing attention to ourselves, or through making some lame excuse. Don't do that. That begins to burn your life to the ground. Hold, bite your tongue and cry out to God. But we need to stop using our mouth to manipulate people around us. Amen. All right, that was very um, efficacious, I suppose. The tongue must be tamed. It has the ability to burn our entire lives down with hell's fire. This is, without argument, a destructive power. I don't see how some Christians don't believe death and life are in the power of the tongue. The New Testament confirms it. Romans 10.10 10 and uh, B and NIV says, And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Notice with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. With your mouth you profess your faith and you receive deliverance, safety, health, and preservation. Our mouths are the tool whereby we bring about and manifest the salvation of God in our lives. So there's life. Life is in our mouth or death is in our mouth. And not, again, not all death is bad. Sometimes you need to kill habits. Sometimes you need to resurrect old habits. Sometimes you need to kill friendships. Sometimes you need to strengthen friendships. So sometimes I think we quote Proverbs and we think death is always bad. It's not always bad. Sometimes death is exactly what God needs in our life, death to sin. And yet sometimes life is bad because it's life to the old man, life to the old habit, life to the old way of doing things. Backsliding is resurrection the old sinful way. That's wicked. This salvation is not just eternal life, but it's deliverance from evil and bondage, safety from destruction, health in time of sickness, and preservation in time of calamity. All this can be accomplished with your faith and your mouth. We confess the word and we are saved, delivered, rescued, healed, and preserved. Uh, the, the quickest way to sum it up is your mouth is your rudder. Your mouth is your life's rudder. And wherever your mouth talks and prays, that's where your life goes. Uh, many a, a minister and pastor has told their congregation, your life is what it is today because of your mouth. Your life is, your marriage is, your career is, your kids are which your mouth has steered. That ship can blame no one but the man behind the helm. Nobody gets to Antarctica and go, how did we end up here? <laughs> you sailed there, knucklehead. Why do we do that? I have no idea. And let me add this extra warning. If you're the head of your household, you are the captain of your family. And so as you steer the family, so it goes for your wife, so it goes for your kids, even your grandkids. And that's why you as men, you got to make sure you're declaring what God says and you're forbidding what God says. Uh, we, and that may be why men talk less than women. Now that we joke about that, it's a cultural, all, every culture is the same way because women are just more sociable. But can you imagine if women were called of God to run the show with all the talking they did? Men, it just increases our efficiency by saying less, we have less mistakes to clean up, right? <laughs> 
Might be good or bad, I don't know. We're not trying to be sexist, just trying to make an observation. Our mouth is a demonstration of faith. Again, we could, we could talk more on that, but we need to move on. A demonstration of faith. As Christians, we are to be imitators of our Father in heaven. Amen? Right. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Uh, if you've got kids, you know they want to be just like you. Uh, Lydia likes to wear mama's shoes, and if I have something, she wants to have it just to be like dad. And, and then now Abigail watches Lydia, wants to be just like Lydia. And we, 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 there's something in us that causes us to want to imitate. You dress the way you dress because you imitate somebody. Even the hippies who are supposed to be so unique are imitating people who smoked pot 50 years ago. So there's nothing new under the sun. Everybody's imitating something. The Bible tells us imitate God. Little children learn the appropriate use of speech from their parents, right? You know, we pick up accents from our parents. I'm having to teach Lydia, not by, by. <laughs> not what, what has one syllable. I know you don't know what a syllable is, but what has one syllable. Say what. And we're having to dry up some Middle Tennessee accent. I honestly, my heart, my wife, I tell my wife, if the Baidu kids can be raised in Cookville and not have the accent... If the Vincent kids can be raised in Cookville and not have the accent, but they're both black. Maybe I need to be black so my kids don't end up talking. I just, you know, they learn our speech patterns from us. Amen. You know, the African, uh, you, Pastor Tom Abungu was with you guys Wednesday, and his little kids have the most unique accent because their mama's Polish and their daddy's Kenyan. And their accent's neither. It's kind of a combination of both. And Lydia, uh, Miss Anna, they stayed with us a couple weeks ago, and Anna was in, Miss Anna was in the bedroom, and the kids are playing, and she comes in there, and she says, little children, you need to slow down and be quiet. You're making too much noise. And Lydia says, why do you talk like that? <laughs> and Miss Anna said, because I am from far, far away. <laughs> Even Lydia could tell, this is not the speech pattern I'm used to. <laughs> it's just so funny. She's, why do you talk that way? <laughs> Listening to our parents develops our accents and even dialect. What should we learn from our Heavenly Father regarding the use of our mouths? See, if it works in the natural, it's because it first works in the supernatural. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The first thing God demonstrated us as a father is, when you have darkness, you need to be talking light. First demonstration of God in the whole Bible let, was what he said with his mouth. Let, and what was the problem? Darkness. He didn't say, oh my gosh, there's darkness in the land. That was obvious. So he declared what needed to be. Let there be light in my marriage. Let there be light in my career. Let there be light in my mind. Let there be light in my soul. Wherever you find darkness in your life, you're not going to speak light to the cosmos, but you can speak light to your little cosmos. Amen. The second thing God Almighty did in the Bible is speak light. The first was create the heavens and the earth, but the first action we see is speaking. He spoke light to the darkness he saw. If we are to be imitators of our Father, we must learn to speak light into the darkness that we see. The Bible is very clear. The words of our mouths are one of the primary ways we demonstrate and manifest our faith. You talk about what you believe. You talk about what's important to you. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Now, you may not want it to be, but it does come out that way. You may not want 
your body to be sick, but the more you talk about it, it just seems to really enforce it. We, we have all seen that example. I think I'm getting sick. I think I'm getting sick. And what happens? They get worse. Yet even pagan doctors would tell you those that maintain a positive attitude through whatever they're fighting get quicker a lot faster. I've read enough books on POWs through World War II because that's one of my little history areas that I love to study. They, they talked about what they called gonitis. And when the POWs gave up and they started talking about it, you could see it and they'd be dead in two or three days, perfectly healthy, just give up. I just want to go home. I just don't want to, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. And then they don't. But those that survived the POW camps with the Japanese, they said, I'm getting home to my girlfriend, my mama, my wife. I'm going to see my kids. I will survive this. And they did. Because it's life and death. And who knows if they were even Christians or not. There was a famous story about 15 years ago about a, a triathlete that contracted AIDS. I don't know if it was through sin or through just surgery and blood transfusions. But he refused to die. And he said, I refuse to give in to this. And he trained more for triathlons. And before long, the thing was just totally gone out of his system. And there was no talk. It was a secular article. No talk about any faith at all in, in Jesus. But just a raw human will determination. Because these laws apply to creation. If we truly believe something, it will eventually make its way to our mouths. The spirit of faith cannot keep silent. 2 Corinthians 4.13 in the NIV, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Sometimes we need to really take inventory of what we're saying because it'll tell us what we really believe. Sometimes we don't believe what we think we believe. Some things we just think we believe and it's a head consent, but what comes out of our mouth really proves what's still in us. Uh, like the example is what's in, when you're shook up, what's in you is what comes out. When everything's nice and stagnant, there's no telling what's on the bottom of your life. But you get shook up really good, it'll come out. And sometimes if we would just maybe be more conscious of what's coming out of our mouth, you'll realize there's still stuff in you that needs to come out. Uh, eventually it will come out. You just get in the right situation, be pressurized. And maybe, now that I think about it, maybe that's why many Christians won't step out and do things in the uncomfortable territory because in their comfortable little life, all their sin settles to the bottom and they look clean before God. But those that get out into the sea in ships and do business among great deep waters, Psalm 106, they see the hand of God. Their life gets shook up and they puke overboard the sins of their life and they get purified. Sitting still for God doesn't help your life. It looks good, but it doesn't do anything for your life or God. So get out there and shake something up and don't be afraid or ashamed when junk comes out of you. It was in you all along. Now you get to be cleaned up some more. Amen. The spirit of faith will compel you. Excuse me. Faith is a spirit and it is not a quiet one. We could say faith is an attitude and it is not a quiet attitude. The spirit of faith will compel you to speak and declare. The devil prefers quiet Christians. Now, I don't mean being a loud mouth. Because some people need to curb that. Somebody, Miss Kimberly told me, she looked at today's lesson. She said, Pastor, it should be called duct tape. <laughs> As in put it over your mouth. That, that dries up a lot of sin real quick. No, you need to be loud about the things of God and quiet about your opinion. Amen. The devil prefers quiet Christians, Christians that won't speak the word, Christians that won't witness, Christians that won't preach, Christians that won't declare the word of God over the house, Christians that don't pray. That's the kind of Christian the devil wants. If they're going to be mouthy, he wants them mouthy about the opinions that he probably taught them. God expects us to be outspoken Christians. 
Mark 11, 22 and 23, have faith in God, for verily I send you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he should have whatsoever he says, or shall have. You can have whatsoever you saith. That's what Jesus Christ taught. If you curse your marriage, your marriage will fall apart. If you curse your boss, you're probably going to get fired. We just understand this. It's spiritual law. You get saved by declaring, and you can be sunk and shipwrecked by declaring. The subject of this passage is faith. Notice what faith can do when used. Speak to a mountain, and the mountain obeys. We don't just talk to hear ourselves. Somebody said, talking to yourself is fine, but when you start answering, you have problems. (laughs) That's when you need a caseworker or something. We don't just talk to hear ourselves. We speak to accomplish the will of God. We speak to remove hindrances out of our lives and we can have whatsoever we say. We speak to encourage one another. We speak to provoke one another to good works, as the Bible says. We don't see much of that in the body of Christ today because Americans want to give everybody their opinion but don't want to receive it from anybody else. But it's a Bible commandment for me to get into your face and provoke you to better works. Say, Robert, where you been? I hadn't seen you at church in a month, man. Get off my case, man. Where are you? I'm a Christian doing my job. Why, why aren't you at church? The Bible gives us permission to do that, and we use our words to do it. Melina, why are you cast down? Courage yourself, sister. You know better than this. Where's your mouth? Why are you not speaking to yourself? Oh, okay. We have permission to do that. <laughs> it doesn't look all American or Oprah, but it's what the Bible commands us to do. And we ought to be speaking to ourselves as well. I find, though, that Americans like to tell everybody else what to do, but they don't want to be told themselves. (laughs) Amen. For me as a pastor, if I try to do the Bible, in America we're so cult sensitive that if I try to call up somebody and encourage them, they're just trying to control. They're nosy. It must be a cult. Or if I don't call, they don't care about me. Nobody ever checks on me. They don't love me. Tell me the balance and I'll find it because otherwise I'm just going to stick my nose in your business and be a good pastor. Amen. Luke 17, 6, almost done here. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it shall obey you. Notice again, speaking to a sycamine tree. The mountains represent obstacles because we don't speak to mountains. God likes Mount Everest right where it is. God likes Mount LeConte in the Smokies right where it is. God loves this mountain up here in the Cumberland Plateau right where it is. We don't speak to literal mountains. We speak to obstacles in our way. And the sycamine tree, if you want a tree move, dig it up yourself. But this represents things rooted in our life, rooted in our heart. Either way, we speak to them and we get them out of our way. A very similar passage to Mark eleven twenty three relates the power of the spoken word to a problematic sycamine tree. Here, even the smallest of faith. Notice, it's a mustard seed versus a sycamine tree. It's a seed versus a tree with a root system. Jesus said, even little seed faith beats root systems. doesn't make sense in the natural, but that's spiritual. The smallest of faith has the power to command a tree to be plucked up and cast into the sea. The, mountains, the mountain represents life obstacles. The tree represents the heart's obstacles. Job twenty two twenty eight, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto you, and the light shall shine upon your ways. Again, we ought to be decreeing and declaring things. We have been given our mouth as a stewardship, and God wants us to accomplish something with it. 
We can't win the loss without our mouth. We can't exhort without our mouth. We can't do probably over half the New Testament without our mouth. We can't encourage one another. We can't pray without our mouth. We can't declare his wonderful goodness. We can't expound on the things of God. We can't teach. We can't do all these things the Bible tells us to do as Christians, provoke one another without our mouth. It's a stewardship and it has power in it. No wonder the world wants to hijack it, get us saying their things, get us using their language, get us singing their songs, because just as God spoke light and it produced light, whatever we speak, we produce. I was listening to a Dr. Barclay's CD, and he was talking about the power of music and the power of setting an atmosphere, and he said one of his jobs in Vietnam as a Marine was he was an MP at times, a military police, and uh, they would go into ports of call, and they would be occupying police. And he said, one of our jobs was to go into the clubs where all 5,000 men are about to get off a boat and go look for sex, drugs, and rock and roll and go to these bars. And he said, we would go into that club and it's quiet and vacant at noon. And we talked to the bar owner and we'd say, show us the music you're going to play here in eight hours. Show us the girls that are going to be out here. Show us the lighting. And just by the music, he could determine if there was going to be a fight or not. Because the music, the words set an atmosphere. And he'd say, all right, you're going to have a fight tonight if you don't change the music arrangement. Because he said we did it week in and week out and day in and day out. We, just by speaking the words of the music, you could produce an atmosphere that caused chaos. Because he said before they turned the music on, it was just peaceful in there. They just had kind of like lounge music in there because it's the daytime and people are cleaning up, getting ready for the nighttime party scene. They kind of, this is a bunch of pagans in Vietnam, you know, so soldiers, whatnot. But the second you start speaking different words, you change the atmosphere, and it can happen on a dime. You got to be careful the words you speak in your marriage. You got to resist the temptation to shoot holes in that ship. I would tell you, get rid of the gun, because before long it's going to be shooting holes in the ship, then it's going to be shooting your shipmate, (laughs) and you'll kill your marriage. You need to make sure you watch what you say about your friends. What you say about God, don't get bitter and blame God for anything. God is not to blame for calamity. God is not the author of confusion or destruction or darkness. Don't forget, how come God gets all the blame? Do we forget there's a devil that hates our soul? God is never the thing that fails. It is always me and the devil and flesh. The Bible promises that the decrees of our mouth have the ability to establish things in our lives and cause light to shine, shine upon our lives. This is the Bible promise. Your mouth can declare light. If you're dark in an area, say, Father, I declare light. I declare that your word gives me light in this area. I know what to do with my job. I know what to do with this situation. I know what to do with this money. I know what to do about this problem. Father, your word says I can declare and have light, so I declare a light. Light be in my understanding. The Lord doesn't want your counsel or your understanding darkened. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians and in Ephesians, darkened understanding is the curse of the wicked. We shouldn't walk in any kind of darkened understanding. You shouldn't go around saying, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. The Bible says you can know what to do. Be not ignorant of God's will, Ephesians 5 says. So what do I do? I declare the will of God. I declare that verse. So much of our problem is our mouth. And if we could just flip a switch and start to use it properly, we could steer our life through our rudder. If you're in Antarctica... All you can do is back up and steer back near the equator where the weather is warmer and the seas are calmer. 
If you never speak and declare, nothing will ever be established in your life. And yet I will tell you, everything you have in your life is there because you spoke it and you declared it. Whether it's pornography, lust, no friendships, bad marriage, bad health, it's all based on your mouth. And of course, those of you that are Bible students, you know that these are only like tip of the iceberg verses on this subject. This is what some people taught for 50 years and never exhausted the subject. May the sins of our mouths be muted. That's our duct tape. <laughs> but may the volume of our light be maxed out. Amen. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school lessons and these pod school lessons. Bless our understanding. Help us, Lord, to put a guard over our mouth. And may we be ever mindful that every word, every syllable out of our mouth is a stewardship you're going to judge us over. May we bless you and glorify you with the fruit of our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.